Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Christine Thackeray. I'm Heather Moore. We are so excited to have Heather with us again. It is just so great to have you here, especially talking about something as wonderful as what we're going to be talking about today. Matter of fact, you're going to be starting us off with the story of a woman, which we just love, those women's (laughs) stories that are in the New Testament. Great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate being here. I was really excited to actually talk about today's lesson because um, there's a lot of things that really have touched my heart. So we're first going to talk about women with the issue of blood. And as we all know, is that she had this condition for 12 years, which is a very long time. In ancient Israel, the issue of blood, well, blood is considered unclean. And so she was considered unclean as well during this time, which puts her in a predicament of living away from society and probably living away from her husband and children as well. So for those of us who remember the first year of the pandemic, it wasn't that long ago that how isolating it felt and how strange it was not to be around our church congregation and to maybe just wave to our neighbor but not go over and have meals together. Uh, So this woman was definitely um, was dealing with a lot of that. So there is... Um, a scripture in Matthew who says, so Matthew nine twenty one, that she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be made whole. So the woman knows that Christ is coming to her town. So she's probably heard his stories and she's probably heard about his miracles. And interestingly enough is that she has this deep rooted faith that if she can just touch him, she'll be made whole. So knowing that she is unclean, and she probably has not been in a crowd for 12 years, she will also most likely feel a lot of anxiety about going into the situation and having people see her and maybe think, what is she doing here? Or get away from her or send her away. So she literally is kneeling or crawling or getting low enough to touch the hem of Jesus's robe. And um, I love this part where Christ stops and I actually pulled this quote from Luke 8 46 when he said I perceive that virtue is gone out of me Mm -hmm. so the word virtue comes from the Greek term that means force power abundance or strength and so I love that Christ just touching the hem of his robe he feels that he feels that change and he knows something's happened and he knows what has happened so he definitely knows that someone has touched him but before we get to that part is in Mark 5.29, it says, Straight away, her issue of blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. So she oh, feels like that. that healing. Straight away. Straight away. And I think, what would that feel like? And maybe it's, to me, I was trying to compare it to, maybe it's when you're really, really um, nauseated, and all of a sudden it just eases up. And you just, it just is kind of a physical feeling um, of course, we know it's a spiritual feeling as well. And in Mark 5.31, Jesus looks around and says, Who touched me? She shows herself, and it says, Fearing and trembling. So that tells us how emotionally challenging this was. Knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him the truth. Of course, Jesus already knows the truth. So this is... This is definitely an eye-opener for me because um, then he tells her, daughter, and we're back to Luke 8, 48, daughter, be of good comfort. 
thy faith have made thee whole, go in peace. So not only is he, is he telling her that she is healed, which she has already been a witness to, but he tells her to be of good comfort. And comfort in Greek actually comes from the word courage. And if you think about what, how her life now will change, and it, I just related to after the, you know, obviously there's still COVID go, going around, but after kind of the real lockdowns of the pandemic, and then all of a sudden now you can go to this place or there's restrictions in place, it took some courage, I think. And it took to courage yeah. to go back and for some people to go back to church and to go do grocery shopping. And um, so now she is healed and she is clean and now she can go back to her congregation she could go back to her home and I also thought about the those who serve um, in in different wars and how they're gone for six months or a year or two years and then they come back a lot of things have changed and sometimes it's a difficult transition and so she might also have to deal with some of that but he has told her um, to go in peace and so I really took heart to that and I just wanted to read a quote from President Nelson as well. He said, This faithful, focused woman needed to stretch as far as she could access his power. Her physical stretching was symbolic of her spiritual stretching. When you reach up for the Lord's power in your life with the same intensity that a drowning person has when grasping and gasping for air, power from Jesus Christ will be yours. When the Savior knows you truly want to reach up to him, when he can feel that the greatest desire of your heart is to draw his power into your life, you will be led by the Holy Ghost to know exactly what you need to do. So I wanted to see if either of you wanted to share something maybe where you've had to really reach or really stretch for something in your life that it was difficult, but you knew it was the right thing to do. But it really was an act of faith to do that. I'll, I'll share okay. something that okay. just recently happened. Um, about ooh, five, six years ago, I had this strong feeling that I was supposed to go to law school. Now, I'm an old woman. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? And the main reason why I felt that was because of some work that I had done in religious freedom and mm -hmm. working at the, the center. And I had asked some people, how can I do more? What can I do more? And the answer I got back was, well, you really need a law degree. You know, a law degree is really what you need to have the understanding of the law to be able to really move forward in this in this space. And so I said, okay, great, I'll I'll try to get into law school. Took the LSAT once, did terrible. I mean, like really bad, mm -hmm. and took it again, did better, but still wasn't good enough. Took it a third time. It was okay. And so I, I put in my, you know, uh, my thing and realized, I, you know, I was kind of limited in terms of where I could go to because I'm not moving. So it's not like I could go to another law school. There was only one law school that I could really go to, especially for freedom of religion. And so I put in my application. And, um, you know, the first time I didn't get in. And the second time, I, I was on the waiting list. And so I did get in later, but it was too late for me because mm -hmm. I was already doing some other things. The second time, I did get in. And it took a lot of courage just to go that first day because, to be perfectly honest, some of them were my students. I teach at BYU. And so it was 
kind of weird for them <laughs> that here they were going back, you know, they were going to school with their professor. And, um, but I have to admit, it took a lot of courage, humility, mm -hmm. um, meekness on my part, but I did learn so much from that experience. And I would not give anything away from that experience. It was very, very difficult, it was very hard, but um, I am now graduated. I'm a member of the Utah Bar. I passed the bar. Um, all that now is behind me. <laughs> but I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunities that it's given me since having that. But it was difficult, and it did take courage. Yeah, that is amazing. It, I um, go back to the story because the part of the story that gets me is that she had this horrible thing, and often as a, a girl, you don't want people to know you're having your period. Right. Oh, it's yeah. horrifying, and embarrassing. Years of that. Mm -hmm. And years then you of that. add to that that it would make you unclean. Right. So in this situation, for everyone to know would mm -hmm. have been devastating to tell them and to have them all realize what happened. And after she touches him so surreptitiously mm -hmm. and reaches and is healed, then Christ calls her up and says, um, and she comes trembling, and it says, she declared unto him and before all the people for what cause she touched him. So she told everyone, <laughs> I've been having a period for 12 years, and how embarrassing. And um, but it, and then how she was healed. And, and I love the go in peace and that feeling of peace. And I do think sometimes that point where she touched him mm -hmm. and it's like, I'm in a good place. Why are you trying to shake the boat? And I think um, when, I, when we moved to Nebraska, I um, had this beautiful home. I loved my Nebraska house right on the golf course. Wow. And we used to go right across the street and golfing. And I was called as Relief Society president. And it was this little club of perfect, kind, beautiful people. Like every time you went to Relief Society, no, it was just peaceful mm -hmm. and joyful. And you just wanted to hug everybody to death. And when I go back and visit, and I do go back because George still lives there, and I just am like, this is like my peace. <laughs> this is my healing. And I've been in some cranky wards. And and it was just like this little oasis, like when she had touched the Lord. No one had to know. And I... And I'm healed. And then Greg was having a really tough time and we prayed about it and felt we should go out to Hershey School and work yeah. with these crazy kids that are trying to do all sorts of naughty things. And I was a empty nester for the first time in my life so I could make my life my own. I was going to join the golfing group and I had all these dreams and write. And, um, but instead, the Lord called me up and had a different plan that was very, mm -hmm. very stressful and it was difficult and it was hard it was a hard time but um but listen to that call and and spent that time and then at the end I feel like after that period of time um the Lord kind of opened this little window in Rexburg and now I'm surrounded by my children and my oh, grandchildren and if I had lived in Nebraska and stayed in that moment where she just touched the Lord and thought she was healed right I never would have had the gift I have now which is having all my children so close, which is better than my big, beautiful house right next to the <laughs> golf course. I would trade it any day of the week, but I didn't know. And so I do think go for the second blessing. Don't just be happy and content with the healing. Yeah, I love yeah. that. So as we as we are seeing this story unfold, 
where Christ is surrounded by people and he heals this woman as she touches the hem of his robe. He also receives word, like possibly at the same moment or the same short period of time, that Jairus's 12-year-old daughter has died. And his response to the messenger in Luke 8.50 is, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And we've heard that that a few times in the in the Gospels. I thought it was interesting that Jairus's daughter is 12, and the woman with issue of blood had been suffering for 12 years. I didn't think of that. That's, so this, that's cool. these two miracles cool. take place on the same day. Mm-hmm. So Jesus walks to the house, and it um, says he dispels noisy mourners, and so people are already grieving, and they're gathering together. They're gathering to support their family. They're just grief-stricken. And the first thing that Jesus does is he asks them to leave the house. All these mourners leave the house. He only brings three of his apostles, Peter, James, and John, and he lets the parents stay. So it creates this atmosphere of just reverence. And this, I think, atmosphere of reverence is then when he performs the next miracle. Um, In Mark 5.41, it says that he takes a hand of the girl and he calls her spirit to return. And then after she arises, which is was kind of humorous for me to read, is he then commands that she be, be given something to eat. Some food, definitely. But that also is another witness of the miracle that she is truly alive, yeah. and now she needs sustenance. Um, so I love both of these stories, especially that they happen on the same day, because they're, they're two women. And, it, and once again, it shows how Christ is mindful of everyone, whether you're 12 years old or whether you've been suffering for years and years with an ailment and he is, and he is there to make us whole. Wow. Well, I love that. And I love also the fact that we talk about the faith, Mm -hmm. the faith of, of Jairus. And that goes with the miracles that we talked about last time. You know, when we have this courage, like this woman to, to do it, when we get to Matthew 10, we have another example of people who have amazing courage. And um, chapter 10, verse 1, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. Now, this sounds like what a great blessing, you know, to be able to do these incredible acts. But there's a reason why he gives them. If we look at verse 6, he's giving them a command to become missionaries. And he said, But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor scrip for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of the meat. And then he goes on to talk about how they are supposed to just just go and find out people who will give them food, who will give them lodging. Mm-hmm. And he, in verse 14, he says, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. So, I wanted to ask you, what do you think he's really saying there? Is he saying that, okay, somebody doesn't... So for a missionary, 
how many times as a missionary do you have the door slammed in your face and yet am I supposed to dust off the my shoes every single time that happens? Okay, what are so your thoughts? I do have to say, I, this is just so wrong and you can edit it out. <laughs> when, when I was on my mission in London, there was a place called Leighton Buzzard and there was a... a I, probably a legend that um, the missionaries in like the 19, early 1900s mm -hmm. had shaken off the dust on their feet in that area, and so there's nobody that's joined the church in Lincoln Buzzard, mm -hmm. and so it was it was in our area, and we spent a day there, and and we um, tracked it, and as we tracked it, actually we had two or three people that showed a lot of interest, Good. and then I was called out of the Good. area, so maybe it doesn't mean that, but I do think that that if someone isn't going to accept you, use your time elsewhere. Like, like let it go because mm -hmm. there are so many people whose hearts are ready. There really are. It's just finding them. And so to spend time with people that, that don't have ready hearts is, is just a waste when you have a message to share as a, especially. Well, I think it's, you know, I completely agree with you, but I also think if we, you read verse 16, he said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And when I put those two scriptures together, I also think we need to be wise. And mm, missionaries need to have wisdom right. in terms of figuring out and be harmless. So, you know, you kind of go, all right, I'm supposed to shake off the dust of your feet and these people, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment <laughs> than for that city. Right. And, and yet he's saying to be harmless as doves. And so I do think that what the Lord is trying to teach us is that he has our backs. You know, he, he has our rearward. He's going to be there fighting our battles, especially when we go forth as his messengers, just as and the disciples. And really quick, I was thinking when... You were talking, saying, let it go, shake it off. I've been to a lot of, I have uh, two, daughters that, two daughters that play volleyball, and one played at former Dixie State, and one is currently at Weber State. And the big thing you hear on the court is when someone makes an error, shake it off. They always say, shake it off. Oh, and and, wow. it, and it's, for the, it. it's for the player mentally to say, okay, that person rejected the gospel. Put it I can you. now keep going I can still wake up in the morning and go teach because I think some missionary well missionary work can be so discouraging right well and it can and the other thing that you read this sometimes as we're reading through all of the things that happen he's pretty strong mm -hmm. he gives them pretty strong counsel in terms of all the hate that they're going to get and right you know all the things that are going to happen to them he kind of tells them exactly what's going to be happening to them as they go forth mm -hmm. as missionaries throughout the world. But then I wanted to focus on the end, Matthew 10, verses 28 and 32, because this is truly the promise. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. That is their promise. He realizes that they might literally find hellish experiences along the way. Well, they are going to. They we are going to. Yeah, and he's actually prophesying about mm -hmm. all those things that are going to be happening. But this is the promise. This is the hope. 
that they need to always remember. Now, as I was thinking about this, you know, especially this idea of going forth without person script, and of course our missionaries don't, you know, they they have a monthly stipend, a little, you know, a bit of money that helps them have food, though wonderful members of the church do usually feed them for lunch or maybe for dinner, so they do have some additional help that they're able to have. But I was thinking about this wonderful talk by Elder Neil A. Maxwell, and he this is a talk that he gave about the tugs and pulls of the, wo- the world, and he says, the perks of discipleship are such that if we see a stretch limousine pulling up, we know it is not calling for us. (laughs) God's plan is not the plan of pleasure. It is the plan of happiness. Mm -hmm. Thus, while granting the deserved role of commendation and praise, we must not forget the words of Jesus about the recipients of mortal honors. They have their reward. And that's not what we're seeking. We're not seeking that reward of now. We're seeking that eternal reward. That, you know, just as he said in in verse, you know, going back to that verse 32, you know, therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. Well, and I thought about what you were talking about, person script, that for a lot of these boys to leave their game station controllers in there. (laughs) Yeah, is 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 as much as leaving all the money and the comfort of their mm-hmm. parents' home right. to a little apartment that they that would never choose to live in, um, is for them, you know, leaving person script in ways that they've never lived before, and not to be able to wear the clothes that are comfortable. A lot of them, except for a couple hours on Sunday, have never worn like a fitted suit. Right, twenty four seven. Right, right. So there is it's a huge, a huge sacrifice. sacrifice, even in today's world. Well, and I love the fact if we go into the Doctrine and Covenants, we see repeated in section 24, in section Mm -hmm. 60, in section 75, and I'm going to read it actually from section 84 because it's like my favorite. When we were on Mm -hmm. our mission, this was the one that that especially, you know, 84, 88, that Mm -hmm. I would just think about over and over again. Behold, I send you out to reprove the world of all their unrighteous deeds and to teach them of a judgment which is to come. That is exactly the same commandment that he also gave his apostles when he's commanding them to be missionaries. And then he said, and whoso receiveth you there, I will be also, for I will go before your face. I will be on your right hand and on your left, and my spirit shall be in your hearts and mine angels round about you to bear you up. But if you go down, he also does the dust on the feet thing, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's also there as well. But I think that I love that imagery of the angels surrounding our missionaries. And having been a mission leader with my dear husband, I can bear testimony that the angels do surround our missionaries, that they are there Mm -hmm. completely, you know, taking care of them while they leave our our homes. And sometimes it's really hard to let go of our children as they go off to, you know, some sometimes some scary places. Mm-hmm. And yet we know that the the Lord's angels will be around them if they're obedient. And that's another thing that missionaries need to understand. It's something as a mission leader we would always teach them is that it's also important to be obedient, just like the Savior was trying right. to get the apostles to be obedient as they were going off. 
Well, and I know that this applies to full-time missionaries, but I do think each of us kind of have our own calling. I agree. And and it's different for each of us. And and it's a full-time calling as we, you know, covenant to give our whole lives to the Lord. And so it isn't as easy, but a lot of these apply as we try to live that covenant life. And our calling may be using our talents. Mm -hmm. It may be teaching. It may be just hugging grandbabies. It's all good. But um, but whatever that calling is, that we listen, that we do it with that same focus and that same spirit-guided feeling. Mm-hmm. And if we are, the angels do surround us when we're doing those things that are right, when we're living by our covenants and being guided by our covenants. I think that sometimes our mission allows us. I remember on my mission, uh, multiple times I thought, I wish I could live here because this woman, it's going to take years for her exactly. to feel <laughs> loved members, enough that she can feel enough to trust the yeah. Lord because she doesn't trust anyone. And I remember leaving thinking, why can't I just live and be your neighbor? And and so sometimes we play the long game, mm-hmm. not the short game of loving people closer to the Lord. Well, and one thing that we have the opportunity to teach return missionaries after you know after our mission for the last 10 years, we teach them in the Institute how to be... A return missionary mm-hmm. and the one thing we say is as a return missionary you don't have a district you don't have just a little mm-hmm. zo- you know area that you're confined to instead it's all people it's the world your your missionary pool pool <laughs> I can't say the word your missionary pool has just enlarged to infinity mm-hmm. right and I think that is such a powerful idea and concept that we are, I mean, David O. McKay was the one, you know, every member a missionary, and I think that's something that definitely the Lord mm-hmm. is telling us here in Matthew chapter 10. That is amazing. Well, so let's go on to how we are all missionaries. Christine, when you talk about um, being given the moment, because it is kind of scary to go and talk to a friend when you don't have the missionary tag. There's something about that missionary tag that really does kind of open your mouth. And then when you take that missionary tag off, it's like, it's much more difficult to be able to talk to a friend or talk to a neighbor about the church. It's true. Well, it is interesting because it's right after what you talked about going um, forward and telling them they were going without person script in verse 11 of Luke 12 that he says, and when they talking about the apostles bring you unto the synagogues and unto the magistrates and powers, take you no thought how and what you shall answer and what you shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. And so I think that's interesting that the Holy Ghost teaches you. And I love that in in John, that the Holy Ghost will teach you and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And I think that's John 15, 26. But um, in DNC 84, um, 85, <laughs> I know, it, and it's, it it's so a lot of missionary, but it's also opening your mouth. Right. It's a little bit different what he says, because mm-hmm. it says in 85, neither take ye thought beforehand what ye shall say, but, and this is the key, treasure up in your minds continually the words of life. Mm-hmm. And it shall be given you in the very hour that portion that shall be meted unto every man. And I love that. So it's not just go and wing it, right? but it's 
if you really do your daily scripture reading, if you're really filling your life with truth, then it will be given you in that moment what you should say. Well, and I love the story of uh, in Doctrine and Covenants section 11 when it talks about Hiram. Hiram wanted to be a missionary, and what he got from the Lord was, no, you first need to learn, you know, you right. need to learn the Book of Mormon before you can go out and right. teach the Book of Mormon. Right, first obtain my word, and then you will. Exactly, and oh, I think wow. that the same thing's true for us and also for our missionary children, that they need to treasure up these right. wonderful words before they're able to really be an effective missionary. It reminds me of my daughter when she was in the Mexico MTC and she told me she was the second to last in her class as far as memorize, like knowing Spanish and memorizing it. She'd taken five or six years of Chinese in high school, of course, in junior high. So, oh wow! But and so she was asked to give a talk at one of the sacred meetings, and she was so stressed because she felt like she just couldn't speak the language well enough. But she prepared and prepared, and she delivered it just fine. And I think it just is the same principle: when you're prepared, then the Lord will meet you the rest of the way. I think that's it's true, too. It's absolutely true. Well, it's so interesting because I was pondering about this. I was thinking of that um, song, I'll go where you want me to go, mm -hmm. don't know where, oh, I'll definitely. say what you want me to say. And I think sometimes it's more than just we'll say, but we'll be led where we should go mm -hmm. to say what we should say. And um, I, it was interesting because I, I thought about this one experience I had that was just so bizarre in that I um, woke up one morning and I didn't have much to do. And I had a friend that lived about an hour and a half away. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go down and visit her just because I want to see Sonia. So um, I went down. I called her or, or texted her and said, if I come today, would you be there? And she said, yep, I'll be here. So I got in the car and started my hour and a half trek down to go visit my friend. And I was so excited. And um, as I headed down, I got to her door and knock, 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 and she wasn't there. And I'm like, I texted you. You said you were going to be here. So I was a little grumpy because I had driven so far, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And um, I was just kind of driving around these streets, and I looked over, and there I saw someone sitting on their back porch, and it was this woman, Julie Emery, that I had just gotten to know in a really funny way. She had never gone to church, but she had joined the church mm -hmm. when she was in Idaho, and then she had moved back to Oregon. And I met her at a neighborhood function and just found out that she had joined the church but wasn't going. I mean, I didn't even find her at a church thing. And we started talking, and then we moved out of the area, so I hadn't talked to her since then. So it was so odd that I saw her. So, of course, because it's me, I go and knock on her door. <laughs> and she had started coming back to church. Her husband and her children had joined the church. Oh, how wonderful. And, um, and I came in, and I gave her a hug, and we went to her back porch, and we're sitting on these Adirondack chairs um, talking, and she told me that he wanted to go to the temple and be sealed, mm -hmm. but she was still having doubts. Mm -hmm. And so we sat and talked about the temple, and oh. it was such a lovely, lovely day, just so beautiful. And it was so bizarre that I'd get up wanting well, to visit a friend who wasn't the there. Lord, the Lord and then, in the right place. That's but he did. Line. He guided me. Yeah. And I didn't even get to see Sonia that day. But <laughs> that's we okay. And I probably yelled but that's her. all right. But, um, it, but it, was a, it was a great day. So I do think sometimes when we listen, um, we can our mouths can be opened. But it's because we're treasuring up the word because we're reaching for those moments of inspiration. And then we are told 
what we should say in that moment. Well, and and that's really interesting with the next mm-hmm. point that we were going to talk about is when the Lord says, I came not to send peace, but a sword. So, wow. I mean, yeah. no, that, how, does, how do those two things go together? I can't so, wait to hear what you think. Heather. So there, there's probably a lot, there's probably a lot more to this than I took from it, which I'd be interested to hear your opinions right. as well. But I felt like the way Christ was chosen to come to earth, that was not peaceful. That was like a sword because there was a war in heaven. Yeah. And then when oh. he arrived on earth, it was not exactly peaceful because King Herod put out a decree for his death. And then when he went throughout, when he started his ministry, there was always um, two sides. There was the Pharisees and the scribes, and then there were those who were followers of Christ. And then, of course, we have his crucifixion. And so you think about how he came. Um, he didn't come because he knew when he arrived the earth would be filled with peace. It was filled with strife when he arrived. That's true. So he came like a sword. Anyway, I don't know if you guys have anything to, to no, add to that. No, but I think it continues. Was... I think about the early Christians and the early Christian church being kicked out of Jerusalem, right. mm-hmm. you know, very soon after Christ's death, that they didn't keep them there. Didn't they? Was it Corinth that they were in that they went to? Well, and I think sometimes we say, oh, that's happened before, you know, that happened mm-hmm. before. And the one thing being involved in religious freedom and in that space right, right now, one thing that people say, and I don't think that we really think about it enough, is that more people are being killed for religious reasons now more than World than War ever. II, more than oh. ever before, that this same religious strife, you know, that he's making reference to right. is still and happening today. And for following Christ. Right. I mean, and for so following many. Christ, many Christians are being right. killed for their Christianity. Or on the flip side, for for those not following Christ too, exactly. So we have both. The, sides. We still have you know the Christian persecution, yeah, going on. And, and then we have the the next. So this is Matthew ten thirty five. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter in law against her mother in law. And I just thought about there are a lot of inc- incorrect traditions of our families that can go back way back, and sometimes we keep traditions because it's what our grandmother or great-grandfather did or they believed in. And so I, I for me, that was um, following Christ is the new way. It is the new law. And this is, um, and really, uh, verses, what is it? Verses 34 to 39 is really an instruction guide of how to be a true follower of Christ. And even in 36, it says, And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And I think... Do we have family members that block or trying to block our path to salvation? Mm -hmm. Um, If we compare it to the story in the Book of Mormon with Abish, where she lives in a Lamanite city, and she she has a testimony that was taught by her father. She knows about who the Lord is, but she can't can't talk about it because she's in a situation, whether it's her family or whether it's her neighborhood or the entire city, where they, they follow after... Um, the gods that King Lamoni, his, his father, King Lamoni's father, has chosen. And now we have um, some of us maybe in that situation today. We may not be able to, um, even maybe we can't even go to church. And we're, we have to, you know, find um, inspiration other ways through reading our scriptures. And um, so, that, so that just really struck me 
is that sometimes um, our foes are within our own household or within our own community. And the next verse, 37, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And that's that's similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just is ask, I would ask myself, is Christ first in my life? And if he is first, then I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to do all the things that we've been talking about today. You know, I'm going to be ready. Um, and I will wipe the dust off my feet when it's time to move on. And, and, um, and am I following his teachings versus the world's teachings? And we haven't really talked about social media today, but I also thought on social media, how am I presenting myself? And interesting enough, when you're on social media, like it starts to um, follow your patterns, like what videos or posts you read or stop on or pause on, and then that's what gets advertised to you. And so if I go on someone else's Instagram or Facebook, their page will look way different than mine because of what you're you following. You tell a lot about yeah. that person too, right? <laughs> so no one can look at mine. Right. So maybe maybe we can do a gut check and swap our phones with, right. with <laughs> someone <laughs> and say, hey, look at mine and just tell me what your impression is. You know? Oh, no, and that's just, a really good point. Might oh, be kind of fun. Um, and then definitely do that with teenagers. <laughs> right? Really interesting. <laughs> maybe and then, a little scary. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and then 38 says, and he taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. And so this is a little more of a deeper verse where are we willing to deny ourselves? Are we willing to say no to temptations and sins? I mean, we know what our temptations are. We know where our boundaries are. And but but with Jesus saying take up the cross, he is he I don't think the the apostles know this that he's alluding to his own death at this right. moment. But he also is um, saying, when you take up your cross, that means you are then on a path to your own death, just like Christ will be on his path to his own death. Mm -hmm. And who are you going to follow on that path? So if you follow Christ on the path to Mm -hmm. your own death, it means, but you're, you're, you can then become, you know, receive salvation and eternal life. And, but also, I think he's also saying you will, you will suffer Mm -hmm. and, um, that's part of bearing a cross yeah. is right. you will yeah. suffer along the way. And that you just have to accept suffering. Right. It's interesting that you looked at it separate because I always looked at it in conjunction with if your family's pulling away. Mm-hmm. I think there's um, some people that um, as their children make other choices, they feel like they have to be careful in what they say or they right. have to guard their words. I even know um, of a couple people who have left the church because their membership offended their children. Mm-hmm. And I do think that idea that y- you have to still love them, but you have to hold strong. Right. And then you still have to keep that relationship alive as much as you can. Right. But and keeping it, even though it's hard and, hard, right. and they're going to be mad at you and they're going to feel like you're judging them because you hold fast to the truth. But you're not. You still can love them and show them and love through it. But it is a right. cross. And the good it's thing, the good thing is we're we're not, um, we're not the ones at the judgment bar. Is that mm-hmm. we can live our own gospel, our own beliefs, our own faith, and they're making their own choices, obviously. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to feel like we have to be their end their all be all judge. Because yeah. we're carrying the cross. Mm-hmm. We're not making them carry our cross. Right. So sometimes we have to carry it quietly and just love them. Yeah, I agree. Wow. Definitely. Yeah. So I need to be way more polite. Okay. All right. Got it. 
<laughs> so and then uh, then the very the very last verse that in this section um, thirty nine he that findeth his life shall lose it and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it so a bit of a mind bending tongue twister but finding his life means that we are only focusing on what we can gain for whatever we're doing but losing our life means that we are not focused on what we will get out of it but on the other person. And so it's, you know, obviously about service and all that kind of thing. And which submission. Submission, like, yes. Like saying, yes. okay, I'll let everything go. Yes. Know. And I'll do his will rather yes. than my will. Right. Which is which is very hard, which but, very but can also hard. be liberating too, in a way. Because That's true. I think if you I tell think. yourself God will prevail, God really is in charge of this I world. Think. That is good news. Right. And he's going to yeah. prevail anyway, whether that is you're the part good of the news. trip or not. That is, that is the good news. Yes. That is <laughs> that actually is the good news. Well, and if we go to the next verse, too, we also have a way for us to, to do all this. And he said, he that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's award, reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. And I love that, this concept of receiving the prophet, that that is how we are going to receive the reward that we're seeking. And I think all too often we, we really don't understand what it means to receive a prophet. We might listen, you know, we might hear, and hearken is usually hear and do, but do we receive the prophet and his words? And I, was, I wanted to ask you, what do you think that receive means? Because he, he could have said hear, you know, if you hear a prophet, you, he could have said hearken, and he has said hearken. But what is what do you think? What's the difference between those words and the idea of receiving a prophet? Do you think it's um, not picking and choosing what you're going to follow? I think so. That's what I think. Ouch. So um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was thinking I I worked for um, Nine West Shoes years ago, and when I was um, before I got married, and they had never met a member of the church. And so, like, I had six of the people that were all around me, and they said, it's so weird because we'd go to lunches together, and they, um, the shoe company paid for their bill, so they'd get sloshed. So I was the designated <laughs> driver to drive them sure, back. Sure. And, um, and they were like, why don't you drink? And I said, because I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ. And they said, well, what's different about your church? And so I'm, like, the moment was, we have a prophet that guides us, and the prophet mm -hmm. gets inspiration and they're like does he look like a like beard and right. does he have a staff and then you're like no uh -uh. he just but you know he he looks like a businessman but he's um he's there and he guides us and they said okay so what has the prophet said lately that we should do oh what and a i was like question <laughs> i would be like woohoo i know but i didn't uh. have anything to say uh <laughs> and all so, right I just know. talked about having, you know, in that moment. I able know, to and I didn't have it. So maybe it wasn't for them. Maybe it was for Christine. You need no, to you listen need to better. Treasure up. No, we have treasure been up treasuring up. Words. But I do right. think, um, and I said, Greg, is my husband is so good about when we have conference, 
he listens every weekend to another conference talk so that he's made it through all of them by the time the next one comes. Right. So he's constantly treasuring up and remembering and receiving. And I think sometimes um, we're given gifts that we never open or never use. Exactly. And I and I do think the gift of a prophet is more like a treadmill and that than it is like a it. gift that right. it's you have to exercise on it every day or it's just a lump in your corner to hold mm-hmm. clothes. I agree. And I think that he's, it's got to be the used treadmill that we've got to make it part of our life. So so Stephanie Sorensen, a dear friend of mine, she she, she would always call General Conference was her favorite holiday. Aww. And she truly made it a holiday in her home. And for me, that was like, I, I mean, I can remember when my children were young, it was not a holiday. <laughs> it was always <laughs> oh, you don't trying do the to get them to be quiet. And have all I the treats <laughs> But I, I do think that idea of receiving the prophet in our homes mm-hmm. For me, that is such a powerful vision of mm-hmm. how are we receiving him into our homes? Is he, uh, you know, is, is the prophet very much, and the words of the prophet is what I'm mm-hmm. talking about. The words of the prophet is a, a part of our the fabric of our families. That is something mm-hmm. that we talk about all mm-hmm. the time, that we mention. We say, oh, okay, have you done this that the prophet said from last conference? Have you done that? You know, are we still doing those things? So it's not just that weekend Right. But it's something that continues. I think of uh, Elder Neil L. Anderson, the prophet of God's you know, talk that he gave in 2018, where he specifically talked about our wonderful prophet, President Nelson. And um, I, I have a, a special place in my heart for President, President Nelson because he was the one that called my husband to be a stake president. Oh. Hmm. And then he's also, when we were mission you know, leaders in Brazil, he came with his wonderful wife, Wendy, and, and came and stayed with us at the mission home. And so those, those moments are something that my family treasures to think about, having those precious moments with the prophet of God. But Elder Nel- Anderson said this about President Nelson. Most would acknowledge his wisdom, meaning President Nelson, and judgment, because he's just a brilliant man. I mean, not just an incredible prophet, but just a brilliant man. Nine decades of learning about life and death, living unselfishly, loving and teaching God's children in every corner of the globe, and maturing with the experiences of having 10 children, 57 grandchildren, and 118 great-grandchildren, this last number changes frequently. A great-grandson <laughs> was born only this past oh, Wednesday. Wow. And that was how many years ago? Five years this, ago? I know. So I can't imagine <laughs> what that number is now. I, and I love this idea. A prophet does not stand between you and the Savior. Rather, he stands beside you and mm-hmm. points the way to the Savior. So for me, that's the concept of receiving a prophet is that he's standing beside me in my home. He's a part of the fabric of my home and that he is constantly pointed the way as to what we need to do for the Savior as we move forward. So, um, Christine, I know as we talk about that testimony that we should have for the prophet, how do we continue forward with that and not look back? You know, because oftentimes we talked about those favorite sins that all of us have, how do we make sure that we're constantly moving forward in terms of the things that the prophet says to us? Well, um, I'm in Luke 9, 
And um, it's at the very end of Luke 9, starting in, um, it's 57 to 62. And, um, no, I lied. I am on the wrong page. Oh, I maybe wrote It's 62, it's verse 62. Luke 9. Right, but I'm starting in in 57. Got it. What I found was, um, we had talked about putting your hand to the plow, and I saw that, and I was like, oh, but... In context, it's part of one, I have to see how many, um, three different people that, that say they're going to follow the Lord and their response. Right, right. So one of them you've talked about, but um, the first one says, a certain man said that he would, he says, Lord, I will follow thee. And I think of that song, Savior, mm-hmm. yeah. um, I would follow thee, whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man hath not where to lay his head. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like his answer doesn't have anything to do with the question. But I imagine if you saw the person and they're used to everything being planned and comfortable. And he's like, I don't that's know what's happening tomorrow. It is not going to be planned. It is not going to be easy. And, um, and, you know, the inconvenient savior, Elder um, Jeffrey R. Holland spoke and said, Perhaps um, he was indicating that life was very inconvenient for him. It will often be so for those who choose to follow him. Have you received an inconvenient calling or assignment? A hundred percent. I know. Haven't there been times you were like, every time I've been asked to teach early morning seminary, I'm like, I'm a sleeper inner. I don't do early morning seminary. And I've been asked multiple, multiple times. I've I've taught it for 10 to 12 years on and off. So, um, It is interesting how that was the first one. But the second, someone else, and he doesn't give specifics. These are just groups of people. And he says um, in 52, another says, follow me. But he says, Lord, suffer me to first go and bury my father. And we talked about that. that. And then he says, let the dead bury the dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And um, we know that we needed to have, when you're called on a calling, you have to make the Lord a priority. Right. If you're really going to follow him, there will be times where you feel, and I love what you talked about traditions, mm-hmm. that you have to turn away from the traditions. And the traditions in bearing a father were interesting because for everyone, you do the Shiva, right. which is for one week, you mm-hmm. cover your mirrors, your windows are all closed, and you stay in your home, and you don't leave your home, and you don't do anything. But then for most people, you spend 30 days where you're not allowed to marry or attend any of the festivals. But for a parent, it's called, and I'm never going to pronounce it, and I wish Annette was here, but it's Shanim Asa Chodesh is is what it's called. But it's a year, (laughs) a year where you're not allowed to do those things. Right. And so the traditions, but this wasn't scriptural. This was the tradition of the day. And so he's like... I'm here. If you're going to follow me, you need to leave those Don't traditions Don't do that behind. tradition. Right. Come and For this, me. right, and because bring. this is the moment. And then the last one, um, oh, maybe there's two more. Maybe I lied. Lord, I would follow thee in 61, but let me first go bid farewell to the people that are home. Right. And Jesus says, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. And so in that idea, even, and we've talked about mm-hmm. this family, that even though you love them, there's a point where you need to keep your focus on 
that one thing. And I, I think that idea of no man looking back, we know that when they were plowing, you'd often look forward in the distance and find that point. And then you'd, mm-hmm. you'd keep your eye on that point, and that's the way keep it straight, you'd make the keep straight, straight rows right. was through that. But I think we look back for multiple reasons. And one of them I thought of was Lot's wife who looked back and maybe wanted to go back. Right. And I read your book about Eve, and I loved how she wanted to go by the tree. And even though Adam's like, uh, the Lord said we're not supposed to do this. Oh, I just want to look at it. I just want to mm-hmm. go back. I love the way you portrayed that because I know, you know, there's things that I just keep on going back to that you're like, I just And it's to, hard to let right? go of them. It's and hard to, to let look go. forward and to keep your eyes mm-hmm. forward. So I do think there's both of those um, looking back. But the other thing um, that I think that that as I looked at each one of these, giving up your comfort, giving up tradition, giving up um, focusing on your family and not looking back and keeping that eye single to the glory of God, I realize that each of these are part and piece of consecrating your life to the Lord and the law of consecration. And he's truly teaching that higher law. The law of consecration. Right. That's he's the number about one. the higher law. Right. Right. Is, is to focus on the Savior and all these things that we consider important and are important. Community is important. Family is important. But that we turn to the Lord and make him first is the most important. Yep. And I just wanted to end with um, Jeffrey R. Holland in 2021 talked about the greatest possession. And he said, when difficult things are asked of us, even things contrary to the longings of our heart. Remember that the loyalty we pledge to the cause of Christ is to be the supreme devotion of our lives. Although Isaiah reassures us it is available without money or price, and it is, we must be prepared, using T.S. Eliot's line, to have it cost not less than everything. And that's the cost of putting Christ first. Is well, everything. And I also want to say if, I mean, farming, but to a plow, it's hard work. I mean, you're using your entire body, you know, to push that plow. And, and, and I think that visual of our whole heart, mind, and body, soul, I love it takes all thing. our body, but with the focus, it takes your mind too. Right. Because sometimes with thing. physically hard activities, we use our body, but we don't we, keep our mind going to. And it has to be both. That's and I I've um, recently read a book about um, kind of a military situation where the pilot drives a, a or I don't know what to call it, but they flies the Apache helicopters. And the, the one of the biggest challenges is the focus of the mind. You can't you know take your focus off for even a second, and that's so hard to like continually focus on one thing. Right. So even if if we are losing focus, the wonderful thing about the atonement is that we can continually refocus, you know, repent and refocus. Exactly. Exactly. And that scripture, if your eye is single to the glory of God, your whole body will be filled, filled with, with light. light. Yeah. Right. That focus is so key. Well, thank you for this wonderful discussion today. And especially, I just loved our thoughts about keeping Christ as our focus, as what we're looking towards. So thank you so much. Thank you.